on the SSPX podcast today. Father Trevor Burfitt joins us, sending in a conference, a talk on the trust in divine providence. Father Burfitt is the prior of Our Lady of the Angels Chapel in Arcadia, California. For more conferences and conversations like this, please visit sspxpodcast.com. You can listen online for free, and you can also subscribe so that you can have these episodes delivered to your podcast app or program as they're released. Dear faithful friends, the SSPX has taken the initiative through the District Superior, Father Wegner, to offer you different conferences, conferences on different spiritual topics. And the one that I've chosen is this topic of the trust of God. Now, I've chosen a few books to pull excerpts from. I'll mention those in a moment as we go. But first of all, you can understand how in this current crisis where many of you are not able to go to Mass and we priests are not able to say Masses publicly, it really does test our faith, hope, and charity. And we can see how we definitely need to strengthen these, even though we are not necessarily weak. That's to say not to have them, but we often are far from where we should be. And God has a good way of testing us, trying our metal, as we might say, to see what we're really made of. Are we just a bit of old lead, a bit of dross, or are we certainly gold? And after this trial and difficulty is over, this Lent, and God willing, not too long, we hope that we will have shined heroically. Already I hear beautiful stories about the families who are at home praying together, eating meals together, spending plenty of time together, even playing games and doing other activities together. Something that in our modern day, seems to keep us so far apart. That's to say, we never seem to do these things. We seem to always be running about after our own interests and a shelter at home or shelter in place type of ruling is really helping people to focus on their family unit, the family life. So first of all, I want to remind you that the Virtue of hope is one of the theological virtues, one of three. You know the other one, the first one, faith, the second one, hope, and then the third we often list is charity. There's another priest going to give a conference on hope, the virtue of hope. So I will just briefly remind you of the, let's say, the teaching on hope, and then we'll move on to our trust, our confidence in God. In thee, O Lord, have I hoped, let me never be confounded. Psalm 30, verse 2. Hope is a supernatural virtue by which we confidently expect, in virtue of God's promise, the endless happiness of heaven and the means necessary for its attainment. To be convinced of the inestimable value of this virtue and to have a constant incentive for its practice it will be profitable to consider the objects of our hope to see how it works in our lives. You already know about the very word confidence, which is another word we use for trust in God, that it's based on our faith. With faith, confidence. 
So there are following the example and the teaching of St. Ignatius, who you know we are very keen on promoting in the spiritual exercises and in the life of the spiritual life of the followers and parishioners of the Society of St. Pius X. St. Ignatius, he reminds us always that to make progress upwards in any of the virtues, to live a good life, to live a virtuous life, to start to get away from our sinful ways, we have to first get rid of the sins. Now I know that many of you go to confession. Many of you will go to confession again. You hope to make the most of these sacraments. You're very much longing for them at the moment. So make a good act of contrition today and make the firm resolution, the amendment of life, not to go back to the sins that often war against our spiritual life. They war against our perfection. They war against our confidence. And I want to list a couple of them, a few of them for you. First is the capital sins. They take the wind out of our sails. They leave us very vapid, empty. And then we have hardly the strength of the ambition of enthusiasm to search after the things of God. And so when trials and difficulties come upon us, it's very easy to lose confidence in God because we haven't been very close to him as a friend. Maybe our faith has been lacking, so it's easy to despair. Pride, covetousness, lust, anger, gluttony, envy, and sloth. These are the seven capital sins that often keep us from a good practice of our faith, hope, and charity. There are also those sins against the Holy Ghost. Sins that, when warring against the Holy Ghost, leave us empty, and then therefore it's very easy for the soul to just give up, to despair. These sins are presumption of God's mercy, despair of God's grace, impugning the known truth, envy at another spiritual good, obstinacy and sin, and final impenitence. And I remind you of nine ways of being accessory to another sin. A good examination of conscience and this ability to examine oneself well every day by a daily examination of conscience helps us to be able to see these lingering faults, these things that pull us down. But if we hardly look at them, they're often blind. If we hardly pray to know them, we are blind. And you want to have that grace, that ability, that sight to see that there are things that need to be corrected. There are things that keep us from a good practice of confidence in God because we feel like we're enemies of his all the time. Why would he listen to me? And then maybe even seeing everything bad that happens to us as a punishment for our sins rather than a test of virtue or a strengthening that should come. So there are nine ways of being accessory to another sin, by counsel, by command, 
by consent, by provocation, by praise and flattery, by concealment, by partaking, by silence, and by defending the ill done. So again, I think it's very important to remember these sins in particular that immerse the soul in such a darkness, a blindness, a distancing from God, that it is hard for the soul to progress. And then when a trial comes along, it often gives up or turns away from God or blames God, even blasphemes against him. It's quite shocking, but it can happen so easily. In the spiritual teaching of Father Louis Lamont, La Lamont, properly said, I suppose, he says, God alone can make us happy. There is a void in our heart which all the creatures united would be unable to fill. God alone can fill it, for he is our beginning and our end. The possession of God fills up this void and makes us happy. The privation of God leaves us in this void and is the cause of our wretchedness. Before God fills up this void, he puts us in the way of faith. With this condition, that if we never cease to regard him as our last end, if we use creatures with moderation and refer to the, his service, the use we make of them, at the same time contributing faithfully to the glory which is to his will to draw from all created beings, he will give himself to us to fill up the void within us and make us happy. But if we are wanting in fidelity, he will leave us in that void, which left unfilled will cause our supreme misery. Creatures desire to take the place of our last end, and more than all, we desire to be our own last end. A creature says to us, come to me, I will satisfy thee. We believe it, and it deceives us. Then another and another holds the same language to us, and deceives us in like manner, and will go on deceiving us all our life long. Creatures call to us on all sides, and promise to satisfy us. All their promises, however, are but lies. And yet we are ever ready to let ourselves be cheated. It is as if the bed of the sea were empty, and one were to take a handful of water to refill it. Thus we are never satisfied, for when we attach ourselves to creatures, they estrange us from God, and cast us into an ocean of pain, trouble, and misery. Elements are inseparable from the creature, as joy, peace, and happiness are inseparable from God. Again, I read that last line. Elements as inseparable from the creature, that's to say pain, trouble, and misery, as are joy, peace, and happiness inseparable from God. And that's what we want. And all the trials and difficulties and tests we have to undergo let us keep our peace, joy, and happiness. It's truly a sign of those who are united to God. The few great lessons that I wish to give you today on confidence following this little introduction is taken from the book of Father Matteo. Father Matteo speaks to priests and priestly perfection. Over the years, as many of us priests have found, Many of these great writings of great priests on this 
vocation of priests and the life of the priest and his needed virtues are also very applicable to the faithful. Here you might say, is the level the priest must attain? Well, the faithful can also take those truths, those principles, and strive for them also. Of course, a priest is always meant to be leading upwards, leading higher, leading forward, and the faithful should follow. So his chapter on confidence is what I wish to lay out for you today. Hopefully it will prove to be great help for you, for all of you listening or watching this little video. Lake Genezareth is still shrouded in cloudy darkness. Suddenly, as the disciples struggle against the storm, Jesus comes walking to them upon the water. They fail to recognize him and are seized with terror, taking him for a phantom. And suddenly, they hear these reassuring words. Fear not, it is I. What doctrinal truths are contained in these few words of the Master? Fear not. Why? Because it is I. If I were an angel, a prophet, even a saint, you would have reason to fear. For none of these would know you through and through as I do. Above all, not one of them can offer you infinite mercy and forgiveness. But because it is I, Jesus, you have nothing to fear. Place all your trust in me. How badly we priests and faithful need the doctrine of confidence. Think of the terrific responsibilities that priests have, that you have as the faithful fathers, mothers, even your children who take on more and more responsibilities as they grow up. All of us priests, all the way from the Pope down to the least of priests, our own superior general, the district superiors and all of us priests, priors, and their assistants have a terrific responsibility. And it comes from this duty of saving souls. Even a father and a mother have the great responsibility of saving souls. You can see how the virtue of hope has to be so strong in those individuals, especially when we see so much evil degradation, perversion, irreverence, revolution around us. There has to be something greater, something more sublime and substantial than what we see with our eyes and sense with our senses. We want to be practical and to be reminded or reminded ourselves of the dangers we incur by neglecting our duties and otherwise trifling with grace that's where we're going to have our greatest confidence, is just doing our duty well. I know we want to do the greatest things. Sometimes we're not happy with doing any lesser of the things. The father who thinks he has to be a monk and the mother who thinks she has to be the mother superior is not really where it's at. It's really the father to be the true father, the, the leader of his home the mother to be this real heart of the home. You might say that having read to you these different sins that we fall into and that keep us in darkness and keep us from God and often make us feel like an enemy of his, 
It was also the enemy of living outside reality. We live in a world where we think this is the ideal for ourselves when God has something else in mind. And so often we take upon ourselves duties. We, God gives us duties. We often didn't foresee every detail. And so then we say, oh, no, I, I don't like that. No, I'm going to be a saint because I'm reading this book. But I could never be a saint feeding my husband dinner. But that wouldn't be correct. And that's also warring against our confidence. So as we go through these points again, think about what it is on the positive side. So let's say we said the negative things, the sins that war against our confidence and keep us in a, a sort of negativity. But this, even doing positive things, like, oh, I could do all this and this, be careful because it's really a balance to, to achieve, to hold on to. We don't want to go to one extreme or the other because any of those extremes, whether excess or defect, is going to war against our confidence. We're going to start stepping outside of who we are, stepping outside of what God wants of us, and stepping outside of the graces that he gives. He gives graces for who we are, where we are, at a time when we need them. Not on a pipe dream. So be practical. Be reminded that we don't want to neglect our duties. We must always counterbalance the dark side of the picture with the doctrine that alone is capable of imparting to um, our duties this supernatural energy, this doctrine of confidence. First of all, then, the primary principle of confidence is to confide blindly in the infinite wisdom of him who alone knows how to draw good from evil. You could take any situation that you know today, whether it be the perversions in the church with the churchmen, which now seems like, in our current crisis, so far away or maybe less of a concern. Maybe it's been something else. The heirs of Vatican II. Although those things still exist, we are not completely out of the woods with them. But in this current crisis of the coronavirus, and all of us losing a certain amount of freedom and maybe attachment to the sacraments and to our place of worship, so the church that we go to, all these things being taken from us, we are, yes, definitely looking at these miseries and then saying, can God really bring something good out of that? In all this abyss of my misery, is God's mercy so strong? Can I confide in him and trust him? Have such a tremendous faith in the wisdom of God that you let him do with you whatever he wants. This is capital. Trust in God and let him do whatever he wants. When you're prayerful this land, be also resigned to God's will. Be resigned to God. Allow him to work out his plans as he wills to the extent of going against your own plans. Look, I wanted to prepare for Holy Week. I, I want these things to be available to the faithful. I'd like to be able to give them communion and mass every day. But that's my plan. 
And right now, I need to be submissive to God's plan. Even though I don't always see the answer, it really is the life of St. Joseph and Our Lady. So back to the Holy Family again, this resignation to God's will that inspires in us such confidence to see how they survived, what they did, purely out of love of God and faith. Pray to St. Joseph. He uh, is certainly the man of confidence, trusting God. Look at all the situations that he had to go through. And he didn't lose respect, hope in God. Trust in his divine wisdom, which never destroys except to rebuild. To rebuild with eternity in view, which never sends a trial except to give peace and joy to the soul that he permits to suffer. Trust in the divine wisdom that has mysterious plans which escape our comprehension. He himself has said, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor your ways my ways, saith the Lord. And that's Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8. I love this story of Father Mateus. Some of you have heard it before. When he was a young priest in Valparaiso, Chile, after much begging and hard work, he succeeded in building a law school. And three months after its dedication, in 1906, an earthquake leveled it to the ground. At the time, he was tempted to ask, Why? Why did you allow this to happen? This was for you and your glory. He wanted it for God. It wasn't for himself. He thought he was doing this for the glory and the honor of God. Why? But he says, I did not, and today I know the reason God permitted this catastrophe. So he didn't question God. He may have had this why, but he didn't act against God. He, even to this day, as he said when he's writing the book, he didn't question God permitting this catastrophe. Had it not been for the earthquake, he says, I would not have had the great privilege of becoming a worldwide preacher of the merciful love of the Sacred Heart. What marvels are being accomplished daily by God's wisdom? Eternity will be all too short to think and praise, to thank and praise God, His infinite wisdom. The second principle of confidence is the infinite justice of God. You know that saying from our Lord, justice is mine, saith the Lord, and I will repay. He's the one who's going to take revenge if needs to be, to avenge what's needed. We can paraphrase these things and use them to our, well, confidence for our trust. But strictly speaking, he, he knows how these things will all play out. We're given a little bit of confidence by the fact that he's the one in charge of justice. Revenge is his. That he will make certain that the good is done in the end. And that's a hope. It's a source of confidence for us. 
that justice, which is so extraordinarily beautiful, so badly understood, such a, a union uniting of his justice and mercy that we can't even comprehend because you know how we are. We tend to be too much mercy or too much justice, but with God, it's perfect. So badly understood it is. Even by the most educated Catholics, they, they hardly understand this extraordinarily beautiful justice. There are many who look upon the justice of God as synonymous with punishment, hell. It's all too common to attribute damnation to justice and salvation to merciful love. Yet the truth is that there are as many souls in heaven because of God's justice as because of his love. Too often we forget that precisely because God is just, he must be tender and bountiful. That wonderful little theologian, St. Therese, understood this when she wrote, I trust his justice as much as I do his love. Quite the contrary was the statement of a converted sinner who in his happiness at being restored to the friendship of God, from whom he had expected nothing but punishment, he made this classical remark to Father Matteo. Fortunately for me, fortunately for me, God is unjust. Otherwise I wouldn't be here. Yes, fortunately for us, we shall one day be judged, not by an unjust judge, but by a judge of infinite justice who knows and weighs all the evidence, who, unlike men, is able to distinguish between ignorance, weakness, and malice, who consequently never makes a mistake, and his decisions are always just because they are based on infinite wisdom. Remember these words of St. Paul? There is laid up for me a crown of justice, which the Lord, the just judge, will give to me in that day. Notice that St. Paul does not appeal to the Savior of mercy, but to the judge of infinite justice, claiming the crown he has promised, in which he says he owed him in his strict justice. That verse is taken from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. Tells of a beautiful story. I, I like this one. When preaching in England, a bishop had asked him, Father, the nuns to whom you are going to preach have the reputation of never smiling. If you can change this Jansenistic spirit, it will be the greatest thing you have ever done. On my way to the convent, he says, I wondered what I could do to break the ice. I hit upon a scheme. As soon as a sad-looking portress opened the door, I told, her, I told her to inform Reverend Mother I wish to speak to the entire community in the chapter room at once. Sister was to take me there immediately. Startled though she was by this unusual request, she left to carry out my instructions. Standing in the back of the chapter room, I watched the nuns file in, one by one. They were indeed a sad-looking group, and the saddest of all was the Reverend Mother. When all were assembled, I pretended to want to leave, saying I, would ma I had made a mistake, that I was told by the bishop I was going to preach to a community of sisters. Well, what do you think we are? demanded the superior, raising, rising to the bait. Then I struck home. You're not sisters. You are a community of war widows, 
mourning the loss of your husbands. Startled sisters raised their eyes in surprise, and someone laughed, and the entire group burst out laughing. Seizing the opening, I proceeded then and there to give them a badly needed lesson on joy and happiness, on trust and confidence in religious life. Later, the bishop told me, that is one of the greatest miracles I have ever heard of. A third pre principle or reason that we should have confidence in God, in the sacred heart of Jesus, is because of his infinite love for us. Rare indeed are those who can say with St. John, and we have come to know and have believed the love that God has in our behalf. Imagine that. To really come to know the love that God has for us. Maybe it's such trials, tests of our virtue that will help us to see that. Yet, yet God is nothing but love. And Jesus is love. You know that. God is charity. When he commands, when he rebids, when he rewards, when he corrects, when he punishes, it is always the heart of Jesus manifesting itself. Even the severity which God sometimes displays on earth is only the proof of his infinite mercy. Again, even the severity which God sometimes displays on earth is only the proof of his infinite mercy. It is his heart chastising in time that he may save in eternity. That is why the rigorous justice in this world is in reality infinitely tender and merciful, for it often spares us a terrible purgatory and even hell itself. Here's an example. The priest was severely punished by his bishop, even though his guilt was not fully proved. Everyone agreed the punishment was too severe, and friends of the priest all feared a violent reaction but the excessive severity proved to be a boon. It opened his eyes. He acknowledged his wrong, accepted his penance, and made reparation for the harm he had done. He became a fervent priest and often thanked the divine mercy that inspired the severity of the bishop. So in our own case, it is, not true, is it not true that as we look back, our physical and moral trials, the bitterness we often had to suffer, the contradictions we often have or met with have all been permitted by divine providence and have proved to be blessings in disguise, gifts of the loving heart of Jesus. Dear faithful, this next paragraph of Father Matteo certainly applies to all of us. You will never make a mistake when in your darkest and most painful hours whether it is a question of your own interior life or your work for souls, if you show a blind and unshakable trust in the heart of Jesus. So let us have, let us strive for, a loving confidence. It's not a virtue for those confirmed in grace. Remember, hope is for something to attain. We're not there yet. So let us have a loving confidence following this virtue of hope, this theological virtue. We are those striving to become holy, who are fully conscious of the fomis peccati, this residue of sin that 
comes from original sin. We know of our potentiality for sinning. We have to have trustful love or loving confidence. And we know this is above all for the weak who want to become strong. For those who know that their sinfulness by painful experience is so blaring, but who in their humility sincerely wish to react against the current of human nature that would drag them down. Here's a beautiful quote of St. Therese of Lisieux. It's not because I have been preserved from mortal sin that I go to God with confidence and love. I feel that even if I had committed all possible crimes, I should lose nothing of my trust. But with a heart broken with sorrow and repentance, I should throw myself in the arms of my Savior. I know how he cherished the prodigal son. I have heard his words to Mary Magdalene, to the woman taken in adultery, and to the Samaritan woman. No, no one would be able to frighten me, for I know what to expect from his love and mercy. So, dear faithful, remember, as a way to recap, going backwards, the last thing that we saw as a principle is the infinite love of our Lord. Pray to know it. Look for it. Understand all of the different opportunities that God has given us to see it. Every time we've gone to Mass, receive communion one more time, gone to confession one more time. Every time we have attended a wedding or a funeral. Or maybe it's more basic things of nature. We always see the love of God for us. It's one of the most uh, famous conferences that I think every retreat master should preach in the exercises of St. Ignatius, the golden staple that which holds everything together, the contemplation on the love of God. That gives us the greatest confidence. Then, as you know, the one of the principles, the second source of peace and confidence that I've given you is this justice of God, that his justice is perfect, completely conjoined, united with his mercy. It's never that of a tyrant, that of uh, a despotic person. Extraordinarily beautiful and misunderstood by so many, even good Catholics. The first one was the principle of blindly following infinite wisdom. He alone, God, knows how to draw good out of bad. That gives me such confidence. I don't know what it is that God is going to do for us in these United States or otherwise around the world after these calamities befall us and all the inconveniences and uncertainties what beautiful edifice is he going to give us make known in the life of Saint Joseph and we'll end with that when Jesus was in the temple and his parents St. Joseph and the Blessed Virgin Mary found him there after three days. Our Lady asked him, Son, why hast thou done so to us? Did you not know that your father and I have sought thee sorrowing? 
you shed many tears for you. At first it sounds like a great, great rebuke, but it's just stating the truth, the reality. And our Lord says to them, did you not know I must be about my father's business? What does providence want? Not so easy to see by us little human beings with short-sightedness. But let us follow St. Joseph, who is our guide in all of this, in this month of March and onwards, patron of the church, protector of the church. He will help us to get over this threshold. Our Lord Jesus Christ, the Sacred Heart, wants us to pass a threshold. We don't know what it is that comes beyond, comes next. The Saint Joseph will be able to help us, will guide us over this ocean, across that horizon, over this mountain, to something great beyond. I hope this conference will help you. It's simplistic but maybe added to all of the other sermons and conferences you're able to tune into or to listen to, it will help you to hold on. Be pillars of strength. Keep your faith, hope, and charity. God bless you. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen.